illuminate our minds so we can understand and apply its truth to our lives and that our faith in Jesus would be strengthened because of the time we've spent listening, hearing your powerful word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if it occurred to you or not, but over the past couple Sundays, we've had the privilege of sitting in the classroom of Jesus. What I mean by this is through the faithful preaching of pastors Don and Doug from Mark chapter 4, that's where we'll be again today, Mark 4, but through their faithful preaching from Mark 4, we've had the privilege of joining the crowds on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's where large masses of people had gathered on this inland lake in northern Israel to hear Jesus preach, to hear Jesus teach. There were so many people that he sat in a boat right offshore and taught the crowds for a whole day. And the the topic of his lectures, the topic of his teaching was the kingdom of God. And he spoke about the kingdom of God using parables, stories to help them understand what the kingdom of God is and how the kingdom of God grows. Pastor Doug said last week that God's kingdom is God's people in God's place, living under God's rule and blessing. And that Jesus had come to usher in God's kingdom, to to renew the rule and reign of God among his people. And Jesus, in teaching these parables, reminded the crowds that the kingdom of God does not spread by military might. It doesn't spread by political power, nor does it spread by cutting-edge technology, the kingdom of God spreads and grows and advances by the faithful and extravagant and generous preaching of God's word. That's how God's kingdom grows. Remember the parables? God's word produces an abundant harvest in the lives of those who listen, just like a sower's seed yields a great crop when it finds good soil. Jesus said, God's word ought to shine. Shine in the lives of God's people for everyone to see. Just like a lamp is meant to illuminate a room so everyone can benefit from it. And Jesus said that God's word grows God's kingdom automatically and to full maturity, like the mystery of that seed that grows overnight. You've watched it this last week, haven't you? Go out to your garden, there's these little perennial flowers popping up out of nowhere. It's a mystery, the way a seed grows. And the way a seed grows to maturity is like the miracle of the tiny mustard seed that though so small, grows into a a large garden plant. Jesus reminded his students on the lakeshore that God's kingdom grows 
as God's word is proclaimed, preached, taught. So it was a full day of school for the folks on the lake shore. And clearly, Jesus values learning that he would take that much time for all those people. As Pastor Doug reminded us last week, teaching is really the bread and butter of Jesus' ministry. That's what he's all about. And yet Jesus knows that as important as it is to be lifelong learners, to be always understanding and seeking to know God's Word, we don't spend the majority of our lives in the classroom. The majority of our lives, they're spent out in real life. Learning ought to equip us for living. Education is never just an end in itself. Think about it outside of the spiritual realm. Think about it in other areas of our life. Driver's training is never really complete until you get behind the wheel, right? Or medical professionals might spend years or even decades in school, but that's all for the sake of practicing their education by caring for patients. High school and college graduates, you know, the seniors have uh, senioritis already, and it's just March. But when they graduate in in May and June, they are meant to commence into the workforce. Coaches and teams don't watch film all day long just to watch film all day long. They do it so they can compete on the court. Education is meant for living. Learning is meant for living. So we must learn, but we must also live And at the end of day of this one day Bible conference that Jesus held at the Sea of Galilee, he decides, while still sitting in the boat, it's time for some real life tests. And that's where we're going to pick up with Jesus and his closest disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is the way Mark records what transpired after the day of teaching. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now to most of us, that's a familiar story. But just so you'll really listen, so you'll really grasp the magnitude of God's word, 
I'm going to read it again. And this time, I want to invite you to close your eyes. Not to take a nap, though you probably feel like you need it since we sprung forward last night, right? Not to take a nap, not to daydream, but I seriously invite you to close your eyes and listen. Use your God-given imagination to really envision Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee on this terrifying night, okay? Eyes closed. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's word. It's quite a stark contrast, isn't it? Between the serene classroom on the lakeshore and the raging waves of real life. One minute, the disciples are experiencing parables And the next minute, they're experiencing panic. They go from teaching to terrified. It's a big contrast there between the classroom and real-life learning. Now, it, it wasn't uncommon to encounter storms on the Sea of Galilee. The lake itself is situated in a natural basin about 600 feet below sea level with highlands surrounding it. So with the right sort of wind patterns, a big storm, even a hurricane-like storm, can come up out of nowhere. But what seems especially uncommon about this nighttime storm is that it scared even seasoned fishermen. Remember, some of Jesus' 12, his closest disciples, the apostles, they were fishermen by trade. And they were scared for their lives. The boat they were in was probably no more than 30 feet in length, and it was literally filling with water as the waves crashed over the gunnels. And it brought them to the point of fear that they roused Jesus, who's sleeping with his head literally on a pillow, saying, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In fact, a more literal translation might sound like this. Teacher, doesn't it concern you that we are dying? See, for these maritime professionals, it wasn't really a matter of if they would die. It was a matter of how soon they would be dead. There was no question in their mind. They were dying in this amazing, remarkable storm. 
And I think this makes Jesus' immediate and complete calming of the storm all the more significant, doesn't it? That he could calm a storm in the first place is amazing. That he could calm a raging, perfect storm, even more amazing. And I think we ought to think twice before we judge the disciples for their awestruck terror in this passage. I mean, how would we feel after being rescued from the brink of death? How would we feel knowing that we had just rebuked the one who allegedly didn't care for us, and then he turned around and saved our lives? How would we really feel? Maybe we should step back with the disciples and ask ourselves this perfect, legitimate, and important question. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? That's the question that I want us to answer today. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. And I want us to look closely at the text because I think the answer to the question is embedded right there in the episode. And I think that you can summarize the answer to this question, who is this, with this simple phrase. This is Jesus, the King of creation. This is Jesus, the King of creation. And I, see, I think we see Jesus' kingship in at least two ways. Two ways Jesus' kingship over creation is on display in this passage. And the first one is this, that Jesus is the king of creation who sovereignly leads us into storms. Yes, you heard me right. Jesus is the king of creation who sovereignly leads us into storms. What would lead me to make such a bold claim that he leads us into storms? Well, let's begin by looking back at verse 35. Notice that it's Jesus who commands his disciples, let's go over to the other side. It was at Jesus' initiative that they set out for the other side of the lake. He gave no reason for this evening cruise. He didn't state any particular purpose for going out on the lake and moving from where they were on the west side of the lake over to the east side of the lake, maybe 8 or 12 miles at most across this lake. But it's clear that he commanded and they obeyed. He was in charge. And then there's something peculiar, strange, about the fact that Jesus is fast asleep in the stern, the rear of the boat. This Storm is raging around them. And he's got his head on a pillow. Could it be that Jesus' sleep is a symbol or a sign of the fact that he's in control? He knows what's going on. So he commanded them, and they went. He was asleep in the boat, but you say, Pastor, did he know that the storm was coming? So he commanded them, so he was asleep. Did he know that the storm was coming? 
Well, Warren Weersby, a faithful pastor at Moody Church years ago, a really clear Bible teacher and scholar, he answers that question this way. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming? Of course he did. The storm was part of the day's curriculum. It would help the disciples understand a lesson that they did not even know that they needed to learn, that Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. I love that. The storm was part of the day's curriculum. It's like the the final exam at the end of the conference. He's been teaching them all day, and now he thrusts them out into a real-life test. And the storm is part of the day's curriculum. In other words, Jesus orchestrated this encounter with the storm. He's the king of creation who sovereignly leads us into storms. And to say that he sovereignly leads us is to remind us that Jesus is in control. Storms don't take Jesus by surprise. And the tragedies in life might feel like accidents to us, but they're all part of God's sovereign plan. A plan to teach us to trust in His Son, Jesus, the King of creation, in deeper and richer and more profound ways. Consider the alternative, friends. A king who's not really in control. A Jesus who doesn't know what's going on. Who's just as surprised as the disciples by the storm. Is that really comforting? Is that really a sovereign king? And furthermore, the New Testament reminds us in numerous places that God sovereignly tests His people for His glory and for their own good. Famously, James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The writer to the Hebrews, he states that the the storms of life, which sometimes come in the form of discipline, they're really a sign of God's fatherly care for us. He says, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So please understand, when I say that Jesus is the king of creation who sovereignly leads us into storms, I'm not suggesting that he's out to harm us in any way. I'm not suggesting that he wants to toy with our emotions like it was a big joke that he played on the disciples that night. No, Jesus is far too loving to do something like that. I really want to encourage you by saying that Jesus is the king of creation 
who leads us into storms. Because he is there with you in the storm. He's not just the king who leads you or sends you off into the storm alone. He was there in the boat with the disciples the whole time. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, He's with you even now by the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. He's a King who leads us with Him into the storms of life. And I hope that that's comforting because I know I can look around this congregation and see that you experience, you are experienced, you have experienced, you will experience storms of life. And my hope is that by embracing this truth about King Jesus, that it'll change the way you look at the storms. Maybe you'll change the way that you see that frightening diagnosis that you received last month. Because you know now that it didn't take King Jesus by surprise. Maybe this will cause you to look at your marital difficulties in a different light. Knowing now that there are things not just for your spouse to learn through this, but there are ways for you to learn and grow in your trust in Jesus because of the challenges you face together. Perhaps this truth will enable you to cope with the loss of a loved one. Or maybe it'll just give you the confidence to face the inconveniences of life, big or small, in the workplace or in the home, knowing that King Jesus is leading you there for His glory and for your good. Keep in mind this, too. The Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, was there in the boat with Jesus that night. He experienced it firsthand. In fact, he's the eyewitness who gave the story to Mark who wrote it down. And I wonder if the Apostle Peter didn't pen these words with that frightening experience in the back of his mind. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter knew that firsthand. I trust that you're learning that firsthand, that Jesus is the King of creation who sovereignly leads us into storm. But this isn't all that the passage wants to teach us about King Jesus and his kingship over creation. There's a second way that we see Jesus' kingship over creation. We see here that Jesus is the king of creation who speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos. Let me say that again. Jesus is the king of creation who speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos. 
We already reflected on the fact that the storm that night was extraordinarily fierce. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that generally speaking, the sea in the Bible is representative in ancient Jewish culture of evil and treachery. One Bible commentator says that a storm on the sea is a power hostile to God. A power hostile to God. Because the storm on the sea that night threatens to do damage to God's people. It it threatens to undo God's plans. It, It threatens to undo and do away with God's people and God's kingdom. But this episode reminds us that there is a king over all creation, even these hostile storms. And there is a king whose plans will not be and cannot be thwarted. There's a king who speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos. And I think that what's most amazing about this episode is the way in which Jesus calms the storm. Because he does it by speaking words. He's been talking, he's been teaching on the lakeshore about the power of God's word. And here Jesus speaks words to calm the storm. Look again at Mark 4, 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be still. Quiet. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Notice, there was no panic in Jesus like the panic in the disciples. There was no terror in Jesus like there was in the disciples. No, Jesus exercised his kingship. He proved in his confidence as king of creation, that he could rebuke the chaotic storm with words. Because that's how God's kingdom advances, with God's words. He spoke, and the raging seas became calm immediately and completely. Think about this. This is absolutely magnificent, that he could speak and it becomes immediately and completely calm. This is much more magnificent than any of those amazing buzzer-beater shots that you watched on SportsCenter this weekend. There's some crazy shots in these tournaments. But this is more magnificent. He spoke, and he calmed the sea. He rebuked a storm. Why? Because he's the king of creation. And he speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos. Not only is it magnificent that Jesus spoke those words, he was identifying himself with the Father. He was showing his intimate relationship with God. Because in Israel's past, in the the history and the ancestry of those disciples in the boat, they knew of numerous Old Testament examples of God's subduing of the seas. Think about it. 
It's the Lord who made a way on dry ground through the Red Sea. It's the Lord who brought his people into the promised land on dry ground through the river Jordan. It's the Lord who rescued Jonah from the belly of the whale, from the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's the Lord who is the one who saved mighty maritime merchants in Psalm 107 that Pastor Doug read from at our call to worship. Go back and read all of Psalm 107. There's this great story that sounds so much like the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps it was in the back of those disciples' minds that the Lord saved people out of the storms of life by speaking his words. And here, Jesus. Perhaps in reflection on these Old Testament passages, he acts in divine power and authority. One Bible scholar says, indeed, he acts as God himself is described. In other words, Jesus is the king of creation. God himself who speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos. But I want you to keep this in mind, that the most sinfully chaotic place on earth is not a storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's not even the worst medical diagnosis or the loss of loved ones that you've experienced in recent days. The most sinfully chaotic place on earth is right here in the human heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And again, the wise words of Warren Wiersbe put it so well when he says it like this. Jesus did not stop with the calming of the elements, for the greatest danger was not the wind or the waves, it was the unbelief in the hearts of the disciples. Our greatest problems are within us, not around us. And this is why Jesus asks the penetrating, even uncomfortable question of the disciples in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because he wanted to calm their sinful, unbelieving hearts. There was still room to grow in their trust of King Jesus. I think Jesus asks us that same question today. He asks each of us, as individuals and all of us together, as we face various Storms in life. Why are you so afraid? Why is your first response panic? Why are you so anxiety ridden? Why are you so timid? Why are you so cowardly? Do you still have no faith? Because no matter who you are here this morning, you have room. I have room to grow in my faith. That is my trust in King Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus in the first place. You don't have faith in him, period. Well, I want to ask you, would you cross the line from rebellion to allegiance to King Jesus today because you've seen a better picture of the fact that he is the king of all creation and if he can save people from raging storms on the sea, he can save you from your sin.
Would you trust him to be your only rescuer? He's already provided the sacrifice. He's paid for your sins. He's rose from the grave. Trust him. Receive the gift of salvation with the empty hand of faith. And for those of us who have already trusted Jesus as Savior and begun to follow his Lord, I wonder, are you also in the habit of trusting him in the storms of life? All of them. Big ones and small ones. Are you trusting him to lead you and guide you and protect you and carry you, rescue you from the storms of life? He is the king of creation. He speaks words of kingdom order into a world of sinful chaos, even into the depths of our sinful hearts. And he's worthy of our full-fledged faith. Let's pray. Lord God, having seen a better picture of your son, the king, we ask humbly, seriously, that you would increase our faith in him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.